0: This is a crusade! This is a holy war against the deep state! Where are the dictators? Where are the strong men? Donald Trump is our instrument for retribution! I'm going to fight for Christians, I'm going to fight for white people. They have the Great Reset, we have the Great Awakening.
1: And why shouldn't I root for Russia, which I am. I want to see these people go through misery because of their grooming against our children. After the assailant entered the
2: home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol.
0: I did nothing wrong.
2: Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke, And I'm Jay McKenzie. On this episode of the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, we're joined by journalist Stephen Monticelli from the Texas Observer. Stephen has a great new article out entitled, These Christians Think God Needs You Rich and to Rule the World, about the blending of what's known as the prosperity gospel with nationalist politics. Stephen has also been featured in The Daily Beast, Rolling Stone, Dallas Observer, Dallas Weekly, and more. We're thrilled to have him with us today. Stephen, welcome to Did Nothing Wrong. We're really glad to have you on here with us today. Thanks so much for having me, y'all. No problem. So, I'm curious, how did you get started with this particular journalistic beat?
0: So uh, in terms of my focus, uh, which is largely these days, extremism, uh, what could also be considered threats to democracy, et cetera, um, it really just started out of uh, me seeing a sort of massive void in coverage of what is happening in Texas, in North Texas, in particular where I live, and um, how these events, these groups are intersecting with more national trends of the rise of, or I should say the resurgence of various forms of far-right extremism, white supremacist movements, um, outright fascist groups. And um, much of this really escalated uh, across Texas uh, over the last, Two, three years in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, intertwined with the reaction to things like critical race theory or so-called critical race theory being taught in schools. right? And how a number of groups have sort of coalesced around um, issues that are often simultaneously discussed or championed in what might be considered more mainstream conservative circles.
1: So Texas is huge and uh, there's uh, issues with the border and the coast. And when you're talking about North Texas, where, where you are, I guess, could you explain that to people? What's, are, are, we, are we dealing with a lot of rural people? Is it is a deep red area?
0: So North Texas is, broadly speaking, areas that include DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth, the suburbs around that. Some people might include the panhandle in that. I'm not sure. I think that would probably be its own sort of distinct region. But Dallas-Fort Worth is one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country, and it is one of the fastest growing as well. So uh, when I broadly speak about Dallas-Fort Worth, you're actually largely talking about um, suburban or exurban areas, suburban and exurban sprawl in between two sizable cities that have some urban area but are also relatively more sprawl-oriented and interconnected by a series of large highways. We do have some rural areas sort of in the outskirts, but you know this isn't an area where you're going to see people riding horses on the side of the road. It, it, is, <laughs> right. it is solidly a developed area. Um, And it's also an area where um, a ton of people who participated in January 6 reside or came from. I think it was one of the largest concentrations of uh, January 6 participants came from the sort of Dallas-Fort Worth suburban
1: landscape. You've got um, a great article out in the Texas Observer called... These Christians think God needs you rich and to rule the world. And it's about the merging of prosperity, gospel theology with extreme far right nationalism. So this is a pretty terrifying combo. And you state in the article that this is a movement that's gotten increasingly political in recent years. Could you give us a summary of, of the goals of this movement and and what they're trying to, to change?
0: Sure. Uh, so For anyone who is not familiar with Kenneth Copeland or the Prosperity Gospel or the Word of Faith movement, uh, uh, in a nutshell, it's this uh, sort of vein of Christianity that since around the 60s and 70s, although there are deeper historical roots to this, um, has been uh, preaching this idea that God wants you to be materially abundant, to be healthy, and that... um, the truly devout can effectively sort of speak into existence, these sorts of blessings um, through prayer and demonstrations of their faith. Very ecstatic worship services that involve things like promises of healing or spiritual blessings. Sometimes people speaking in tongues, uh, which is taken to be a a sign of sort of the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of someone. Um, So Broadly speaking, when we're talking about prosperity gospel, um, you can think of these sorts of, you know, large churches, televangelists that have developed these followings through these types of preaching. Now, this movement is really centered around the Bible Belt, like came from Tulsa, Oklahoma, spread into areas of Texas. And really, it is now an international thing. And uh, for some time, there's, you know, perhaps been a nascent set of politics within this broader movement of uh, people like Kenneth Copeland who, to be clear, they're not a part of any sort of formal denomination like Catholicism or you know, being Episcopalian or whatever. Um, they're a part of this just independent network of preachers who share a sort of a lingua franca. Right. Um, and uh, in recent years, this nascent politics has come to the forefront and um, has been intermingling with this other distinct movement um, in Christianity that sort of you know has its own historical background, but you can sort of pin it to the 80s and the 90s when it started really coming about called the New Apostolic Reformation. And basically, in a nutshell, there's two main things that that movement put forward, which is one, this idea of like a return to what they call the fivefold ministry, which basically just is uh, this formulation where there's these five roles and positions that church leaders can take. One of them is apostle, another is prophet, and those are sort of the two at the top of the pecking order. And so um, there are these people who are advocating not only return to this particular style of leadership within the church, um, or, you know, you could say a shift toward this, but also... What's basically called uh, dominion theology, a particular strand of dominion theology called seven mountains, dominion theology, seven mountains mandate. And what that basically says is Christians should um, not only should, but they have the God given right. And God has granted them dominion over the seven mountains of society, as they describe them, um, which include a number of things, uh, education, government, you know, obviously religion and so on and so forth kind of covers the whole spectrum of what we would consider society. And so um, these two movements have begun to overlap and intermingle. And that is very clear at events like the Southwest Believers Convention, which is uh, Kenneth Copeland's premier annual event in Fort Worth where he's based. And, um, you know, there were luminaries of the new apostolic reformation intermingling with uh, people like Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland is probably the most influential um, gospel prosperity preacher alive today. He's certainly at least the most wealthy. And so, um, you know, they are combining this supernatural faith in God's will and spiritual blessings and this language of spiritual warfare with this belief that Christians should rule over everything and that that is God's will and plan. And so, um, you know, sometimes people throw around the phrase Christian nationalism when they talk about things like this. And I would actually suggest it's a form of Christian supremacism hmm. um, where it's it's not just this, you know, sort of intermingling of faith and patriotism, which has a very long history and there's a lot of forms of that. So, you know, not to say that it's new, but that it's this really ardent and strident right. form of it, which positions itself at a, ty- a top of a hierarchy, you know, as opposed to believing in a pluralistic society.
2: Right. These people believe that they are the ones who should be in charge of deciding what the rules are of the society. So it makes sense to rather than say they're okay with doing something pluralistically with everybody else. No, these people are actually more like supremacists in that they want to be in charge of things when they eventually take power as they think they will.
0: And impose their specific right. set of beliefs through government.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because it, it makes me think of something that Steve Bannon has said where he said they, the the right MAGA, are in a holy war against the deep state. And I think it is interesting to see how some of the QAnon and and Christian supremacy talking points, Christian dominionism, nationalism, whatever you call it, have have fused together. What I would ask you is, I know it's hard to pin down how much they believe it, but is that a widespread belief that has kind of made its way into the the discourse for these people, that it is, it is a holy war, that they are... Is it overt as saying, yes, we're against the deep state because the deep state is out to get us?
0: Uh, There's a lot of flavors of what you're describing. Uh, Certainly, that sort of rhetoric was present at the Southwest Bleakers Convention, perhaps not specifically in reference to this idea of the deep state, although Mike Lindell was there and was a featured speaker. He was actually the first featured speaker and was prominently featured throughout the week on the sort of political talk show portions of this convention. Known as Flashpoint. That's a the show that Kenneth Copeland Ministries puts out. And certainly on Flashpoint, and also sometimes intermingled with the more sermon type, you know, parts of this convention, spiritual war, spiritual warfare is central to what a lot of these people believe. The idea that Satan or demonic or satanic influences are, you know, real, present. And have the capacity to basically possess or in people or influence real world events. And so they see their enemies or their opponents in some instances as demonic. Uh, there's one person, Abby Johnson, who quite literally said that the LGBTQ community and Planned Parenthood are both demonic because they support intercourse, uh, which she called the act. Uh, without reproduction and so that it is in fact you know demonic or satanic to ever engage in intercourse without reproduction being the end goal in mind so i mean yes i think it is it is a common thing and it it is expressed depending on sort of who you're talking to um or which sort of part of the venn diagram you might be in um yeah it is it is more of political stuff than religious stuff sometimes yes
1: it, it is just crazy to me how normal it is for them to have this very religious event. It's it's we we kind of see it as, OK, this is televangelism. We understand most people understand what that is and what that looks like. And here's here's our, our featured speaker, Mike Lindell. And um, it just seems like it's a whole nother world. But sometimes it just it just slots right in, um, which it says a lot about how far they've come and and how successful they have been at mainstreaming some of this uh some of this rhetoric, some of these beliefs.
0: Certainly. Um in you know, the reach of televangelism combined with, you know, more overt political actors uh like Mike like Mike Lindell or Michael Flynn, um you know, or even uh freaking Jim Cavizel, he's been right. featured at you know some of these flashpoint live events, uh, it, it is this mainstreaming within a one of the fastest growing, maybe even the only growing section of Christianity um,
2: of these like really reactionary ideas. Yes, that's an interesting point that you just mentioned. That like this is one of the only sections of Christianity that's actually a growth area right now almost everything else, mainline churches are seeing massive declines over the years, which probably leads a lot of people in places like where I live, which is Seattle, Washington to start thinking, Oh, well this whole thing's on the decline. And maybe from one set of numbers it is, but the people who are signing up and getting more involved in it are getting involved in this very extreme version of what's going on. This very, very militant, politically militant, spiritually militant type of end of things. And, think this is where it's really good that you're doing this kind of work so people can be aware of, like, this isn't just Jim and Tammy Baker in an air-conditioned doghouse anymore. This has gotten well on past that, and these people are convinced that they should and are anointed by God to take over the United States. So,
1: Is it just not enough for them to to believe anymore? Do they need to see something real and tangible in front of them? Is that... Is that part of what draws people into this, do you do you think?
0: I think that's a reasonable assumption as to why there's this growing strain of Christianity where the notion of dominion is extended to truly like the physical world through everything from your own life to the government. I mean the the idea that you know you you should expect to be wealthy as a result of your faith or that god will heal you if you're faithful right. is not the norm in christianity certainly no. uh and it is something that you now has brought a lot of criticism to preachers like Kenneth copeland um there are thinkers within the religious world who view their teachings as heretical mm-hmm. uh, and suggest that they've flipped a lot of basic teachings of christianity on their heads
2: yeah i mean i was raised catholic and none of this stuff would fly none of this
0: yeah the sort of anointing of consumer capitalism through things like the prosperity gospel it has certainly created a a new and interesting form of it um and yes i think a lot of these people i mean they probably have personal reasons for wanting to sort of witness miracles like this right and and now that is sort of extended to this idea that, okay, well, maybe the end of the world or the Eschaton or like whatever will happen if God's chosen people, so to speak, take over the world and bring about the end times through that form of dominion. I certainly can't say that I'm an expert, but you sound like one. <laughs> you sound like not, one at this point. <laughs> this stuff does not, you know, like you said. I I was raised Catholic, and this stuff does not at all jive with right. <laughs> um, you know what I grew up learning.
2: Yeah, this is just not stuff. I mean, there was a parable about a rich man and a camel and a needle and trying to jam the camel through the eye or something. And I find myself looking at a guy like Kenneth Copeland, and I'm like, how do you explain this? But you know, okay, okay, you've convinced a bunch of people that this is, this is the way it almost starts to seem like a post facto justification for it. Like these people are rich and they went looking for a way that they could not give away all of their money and they cherry picked some scripture and they said, okay, well maybe if we do it this way, this is what, this is what we can say. And people start buying it. You know, I I wish I could speak to the motivations.
0: I wish I could really understand what goes on inside some of these people's heads, but um, you know, to at least Put it in perspective, it's not like in the grand scheme of history, uh, when it comes to Christianity, there haven't been times where institutions have, you know, enriched themselves, uh, tithing, indulgences, all that sort of stuff back in the day, Um, you know, the intermingling of church and state, sort of borderline religious imperialism and the crusades and all these sorts of things. So, you know, we, we do live in a time in which we we thought maybe we had moved past some of the excesses of right. Christianity as a religion, and yet these things present themselves in new ways and and continue to come back and, and informs that if you are, um, you know, a citizen of the United States or any sort of democracy and you believe in pluralism should be concerning to you.
1: So when we look at events like these and, and you're, you're either – Talking to people, you're surveying the crowd. I guess I'm picturing kind of what we saw with QAnon, which, okay, you're in you're in Dallas, you've got people with disposable income, middle class, upper middle class. And like we saw with QAnon, a lot of the people who are really adherents had to have some amount of money. They can travel, they can go to events, but they may might also be retired, so they have some time on their hands. Is the fan base or at least the the people that are that are showing up to these events similar? Is there any traction that you can see with the youth? Or is this mostly older, you know, 50 plus 60 plus people? Uh,
0: it, it tended to be an older generation. But I mean, there were people who had kids that were there. There were some younger looking people. There are people who grow up, you know, and are within these communities, these churches, and that's really all they ever know. Right. And, and certainly people set aside money to come to these sorts of things. Several people I had spoke to at the Southwest Believers Convention in Fort Worth, they were uh, from out of town. They were not from Texas or Fort Worth. Um, and they, and they certainly set aside money that they give to the church as well. Um, so, uh, you know, I I'd guess it- there's there's some interesting overlap certainly because uh, some of the people who preach some of this stuff are, are involved in these communities. Like I, one person who I saw speak at a QAnon convention in Dallas is a member of this other organization called the Truth and Liberty Coalition, and they are a Seven Mountains Dominionist organization founded by you know uh, a host of people, some of which are luminaries within this movement such as lance wall if you know that name he's involved with that group and so yeah i mean when it comes to michael flynn he's sort of involved in these circles mike lindell there is this overlap between QAnon style things and this form of christianity i wish i could understand more why that there is but my cheap you know surface level analysis of it is that um QAnon, to some people, is kind of religious and has mm. these qualities like the the promise of, like, a big revelation or the world getting sort of turned over, the truth being revealed, some sort of end times vision, uh, spiritual warfare, etc. I mean, these things interlock so easily that it is hard to disentangle them sometimes, right. especially at these events like Reawaken America.
2: Hmm. Shifting gears just a little bit, um, you've done some writing about a group called Dallas Justice Now, which appears to be an astroturfed social movement that's been written about in the post-millennial and the Daily Mail and by people like Matt Walsh and sort of a ha-ha-ha, look-at-these-crazy-black-lives-matter-types-who-are-harassing-people tone. And this even managed to make it out of Fox News on the former Tucker Carlson program. Yet, When people dug into this group, they found ties to a right-wing PR firm and not a whole lot else. And further digging exposed Mm -hmm. ties to what can only be called a content farm masquerading as a network of local news sites. What can you tell us about this group and how did they react to your reporting?
0: Dallas Justice Now, uh, you, you got the highlights, right? They emerged in Dallas Kind of very quietly. The first article ever written about them was by this woman who wrote it for uh, the Dallas City Wire, uh, a website that is a part of, as you mentioned, a network of content farm sites. Uh, people call them "pink slime" journalism, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they basically present themselves as being authentic local news when, in reality, they're a part of this very large network of uh, websites that tend to push conservative perspectives. No one really noticed that first article. No one really paid attention to them. Um, They also had put out some PR newswire type releases, but they made a big splash whenever they went to the wealthiest part of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, this enclave city called Highland Park, uh, which is literally a city within a city. And uh, they pass around this quote unquote pledge asking basically rich white people not to send their kids to Ivy League colleges to save spaces for Non-white people. This is something that no Black Lives Matter affiliated organization or supporter (laughs) type organization I've ever heard of has ever done something like this. This is not not a typical tactic.
1: It's not what they do.
0: Uh, Nevertheless, this group sort of presented themselves. Yeah, they presented themselves as a, a Black Lives Matter organization and said, if you're a supporter of that, you know that you should sign this pledge. Uh, as you mentioned, that, you know, predictably caused this big dust up in conservative media. Oh, I can't believe this. How ridiculous. Yada, yada, yada. But it turned out that um, a Republican PR firm based in Utah named Arena, which has worked with a whole host of clients and they've done some, you know, sketchy stuff in the past. I believe they were involved in the Swift Boat incident (laughs) with, uh, was that Al Gore? That was John Um, Kerry. That was John John Kerry, 2004. John Kerry, John Kerry. Yeah, I I get my old presidents mixed up or (laughs) candidates, I should say, (laughs) uh, for president. And um, so, yeah, the the whole Swift Boat thing, I wrote in a whole article about it for Byline Times about uh, all the different clients this firm that had worked to make this website for uh, Dallas Justice Now had done. Uh, Incidentally, that same firm was also uh, apparently working with another group called Keep Dallas Safe uh, to make a website for them. Mm -hmm. Keep Dallas Safe started in reaction to the Black Lives Matter protests that happened in Dallas, which I covered uh, as a reporter. And, um, you know, more or less, they were pushing anything that was the opposing position. You know, more police funding, uh, very uh, sort of panicked messaging around crime and, you know, explicitly in response to the Black Lives Matter movement and the push to reduce funding to police departments across the country. So very eyebrow raising that both of these groups ended up somehow contracting with the same Republican PR firm that's not even based in Texas, <laughs> but has a history of working with dark money groups in the past. So that was never fully explained. Um, you know, Keep Dallas Safe at the time, they, their leadership denied um, you know, that they had anything to do with Dallas Justice Now. They called the thing stupid. Dallas Justice Now has never addressed it. Um, they've gone through a number of different public leaders. Uh, the first set of them effectively disappeared and didn't want to talk to anybody. The second leader, they... Basically, tried to respond to the critical coverage without really responding to it by lashing out against people. Right. Um. So one of the earliest uh, individuals, a woman who lived in Highland Park, who's sort of raising questions about this, she got boxed by the group early on. They called me for literally no reason a racist, even though later on, when I finally tracked down the guy who was quoted as calling me a racist, he said, "I never said that. I don't know why they published that." <laughs> so a lot of weird things with this group. And over time, this group has effectively uh, shifted their focus. So, you know, they're no longer doing anything about police funding uh, or reducing it or Black Lives Matter stuff. They've shifted focus to pushing school vouchers, uh, school choice, and um, also like other random stuff about crime and homelessness uh, in a very similar sort of tenor uh, as Keep Dallas Safe, even though they're ostensibly not related and uh, have nothing to do with each other. Similarly, to Dallas, just now keep Dallas safe also has gone through a number of leaders. Its current leader, incidentally, is a guy who spoke at a griper conference um, <laughs> and is affiliated with Groipers and has uh. filmed videos with this other guy who is also a griper. There's no reason that these groups, at face value, should have anything to do with each other. Should be talking about the same things or have shared interests, you would assume that they would be diametrically opposed.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, have you heard but, some of the things Nick Fuentes has said about black people? I mean, no way, he wouldn't, he wouldn't want anything to do with a guy who was yeah. involved in that yeah. and yet. For some reason Dallas Justice Now recently shared uh, a
0: video that Keep Dallas Safe had posted on Twitter. After I pointed that out, they deleted the post for whatever reason. But, um, You know, it's just a very strange thing. It continues to go on uh, despite there being all these red flags and questions about who's behind it. And um, there's only really one local paper, or I should say news website, because I don't actually publish a paper, that continues to provide them coverage. And incidentally, that newspaper in the past had been linked to the same network of Focus content sites huh. as the dallas city wire uh, the same woman who wrote that first article about dallas justice now had written for this website it's called the dallas express and that's funded primarily by this mega donor this republican mega donor named monty bennett who gets into all sorts of stuff in terms of his political activism and donations and is a big proponent of school vouchers
2: incidentally shocking shocking
1: yeah if uh, if if someone was cynical, you might wonder why when the when the right just loves it when the left looks crazy or they can find a story that makes the left look crazy and they can tell all their followers that oh th- aren't you so glad you're not a leftist because look at all of these things that they're doing but they just run out of that content so quickly and seems like a way to beat that might be to just create your own mm-hmm. fake content and it's just not that it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult to get a site up. We've I, I know it's it's just amazing to see this is like a they've professionalized fake Twitter accounts, fake Antifa accounts, and all this stuff that's been going on since Gamergate where you even just you make a... We saw recently something um, from Reddit going all around Twitter about a woman and she couldn't get a man because of her body count because of right. how many men she'd slept with. And it looks entirely fake, but it's it's for a certain section of the online world. It's all they talk about for the weekend. But it is... It has now been professionalized and maybe even PR firms are going out there and doing this. And it it's just it's incredible to see that evolution.
2: It's gone from 4chan trolls thinking it would be funny to do these fake Antifa type accounts to all of a sudden now you got PR firms that have lots of rich donors that are saying, hey, it works. We don't have to spend too much money. We can send out some flyers and maybe a group to go protest once in a while. And, you know, we can pay some actors to come and do this and it works. We can get some coverage on the slightly less than credulous conservative media out there. And next thing you know, here's the weekend's news cycle. We got it.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I think that is what a cynical minded person might think, particularly given that there are groups, companies, um, Maybe you've heard of this one. It's called Crowds on Demand. Yes. So the original operator of Keep Dallas Safe previously worked for Crowds on Demand, and was caught red-handed paying people to show up to public meetings in New Orleans to support the uh, passage of basically a you know a bill that would allow for the construction of this new energy plant. Huh. Um, and it appears to be the case that they were working on behalf of the energy company. <laughs> To do this, shocker, uh, and groups like that exist. And uh, there was a recent great report in the Texas Tribune about this other group called Influencible.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was um, Robert Down, and we had him on right. a couple episodes ago. That was yeah, that was a hell of a story. Right,
0: and so given the existence of things like those, it's really not a stretch <laughs> to imagine. That sort of stuff happening in places like Dallas, particularly whenever there's this organic movement like the protest movement that emerged and there's a a need to sort of counter it.
1: And, you know, I think for a generation or two back, people now understand that, okay, cigarette companies funded studies that said cigarettes don't cause cancer or oil companies would fund studies that say, ah, oh, you know, this doesn't increase the amount of carbon in the atmosphere or climate change isn't real. And they, they understand the fake aspect of that, but this is, it's really essentially the same thing for a new generation.
0: Sure. But we have to be careful, right? Cause even though we know about these things and we learn about new ones like influencible on a semi-regular basis, we have to remain skeptical, not cynical because if you're skeptical, you're not going to just jump to the conclusion that everything is a psyop. Yeah. Which is, you know, perhaps a good segue into talking about something else that I think we're all interested in, which is uh, the right wing's knee-jerk reaction to any time Nazis show up mm. that they call them feds. Of course. Now we all understand that intelligence agencies have done bad things in the past. <laughs> um and we we can imagine that they could still do bad things. Um, and I think that is a safe form of skepticism. Um, but to immediately point at things that are uncomfortable um, or, or inconvenient, um, say, if you're a conservative politician and call them a, a, a deep conspiracy by the federal government, it doesn't really work because we know the identity of a lot of these Nazis and there doesn't appear to be any reason To believe as of this moment that their activities are being orchestrated by the feds in order to discredit conservative politicians. Right.
1: You'd think you'd find a LinkedIn profile eventually, right? And
0: yeah. You know, and and to be clear, there have been incidents where it's like, I think there was this crazy Nazi a book publisher that had oh, yeah. been an informant and was paid by the federal government while he was publishing Nazi shit.
2: Right. But he was not a fed in the sense of went to Quantico and graduated. He was a federal informant in right. the sense of they fished him out of prison where he went on weapons charges and told him, hey, you come out and you do work for us and you know tell us about anybody who gets too crazy and we will overlook some of your other Activities and right. it's definitely somebody who had that tag of Fed hanging on him the entire time he was out. People in that movement looked at him and said, "Hey, how'd you get out of prison in three years on those charges? What right. happened? How'd you do right. that?" So, nuance is important right. here, and um,
0: I think in the case of what we've seen, like with homegrown neo-Nazi movements, you know, there's been numerous instances where, whether it's uh, Aryan Freedom Network or Patriot Front or whomever marching. Through the streets of some city or town in in Texas, uh, and whenever that gets national attention or goes viral, there's the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world who just want to say that those are feds because it's an easier thing to deny the existence of something that, uh, for whatever reason, you don't want to condemn. Right, and arguably, it's because a lot of the talking points, a lot of the <laughs> ideas, when it comes to things like immigration or LGBTQ rights, um, even just our basic understanding of the historical realities of the American political system and slavery and discrimination and segregation and all those sorts of things. um, The mainstream talking points uh, are getting these people excited. Yeah, Um, And instead of having some sort of reflection or introspection about, why do the Nazis keep showing up to the protests uh, of the drag shows? Certainly it's not because they agree with us. Um, it must yeah. be because the federal government is sending them to make us look bad. Right. And that is just, it's crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then you get your groups like what we've seen in Florida recently where we've got several groups that have been protesting quite a lot holding up, you know, Ron DeSantis signs and this is the same group that have gone around throwing flyers in yards. They have sort of a standard style guide for their flyers. They look pretty much the same. They have some some catchphrases that they use, but the whole thing for them is we are looking for a way to get TV cameras to film us and pay attention to what we're doing so we can direct you to our website. This isn't about any principled stand on behalf of any one political candidate, no matter how much some of Trump's more annoying soldiers try to make it one. It's more about this is our publicity trick. This is something that guys like George Lincoln Rockwell from the American Nazi party back in the sixties pioneered. And it's been going on kind of ever since all the way from Tom Metzger going on the Geraldo show in the eighties to what you see now, they want people to pay attention to this stuff. And there are people that will confuse a controversial political stance. that These people take for something, you know, really well thought out, something that they actually believe in but in reality a lot of the time these groups have their own agenda that has really nothing to do with politics they want you to pay attention to what they're doing
0: right right and it's very important that when we report on these groups that we don't just give them what we want what they want right but at the same time denying their existence does no one any favors no and it, it doesn't help us understand like why is the great replacement theory now sort of this mainstream talking point mm-hmm why Why is it the case that some young Republicans will use the word degenerate mm-hmm. in particular ways, which um, sound a lot like dog whistles? You know, there's unfortunately this, I think, very cynical response to this reality. You know, it, it could be explained a, a few different ways. One, just being that maybe people are fucking stupid. I don't know if I can say that. Oh, but that's absolutely
2: fine. Say it. <laughs> some people who say this
0: sort of stuff, they're just ignorant and you know, they don't know any better, but then there might be some people who know exactly what they're doing. Um And those are the people that are more
2: concerning. Right. They know what's going on here. They have an approximate understanding of who these people are and what they're really about. But because this cause lines up with their particular cause in one way or another, they see no, no problem with promoting it or using it to further their own agenda. And, that's, that's right. terrifying. The idea that some people would look at a group like Patriot Front and say, how can I use this to push my own points? How can I use this to make my own political point that I'm trying to make here or you know, push my pet issue? And that is like, how do you sleep? How do you sleep at night when that's what you're doing with yourself?
1: Yeah, but it, it is another way that you if you don't have much separation, a lot of these groups on the right seem to try to create it. If you look at somebody that I've I've watched and listened to is Dan Bungino talking about Patriot mm. Front and they're oh, they're all feds. They're they're just a bunch of feds. They're going straight from their office. The J. Edgar Hoover building, they're <laughs> going to go on a march and then they're, go back to their offices, because if you listen to someone like that talking about trans people, And you look at the propaganda that someone like Patriot Front is putting out there, you may not even necessarily be able to tell the difference. And so when you don't have any real divergence that people could mistake one for the other, you might create it, which this past weekend we saw Laura Loomer attacking neo-Nazis in Florida and and condemning them and saying that, that she was appalled by them. But meanwhile, she's still friends with Nick Fuentes, and they both have great things to say to each other so mm-hmm. so much of this that gets traction just isn't it isn't real it isn't about anything real but it's content and the content just marches on there is no answer to that it it's just it's the age we live in
2: yeah yeah and that's that's one of the toughest things about being as aware of this stuff and I'm sure you see the same problem is that like what do you actually do how do you actually make a dent in it. I mean, that's the question we keep asking ourselves and we keep asking everybody like how, how do you slow these people down even a whit? Because the minute you point out what they're up to, they just immediately with no sense of shame whatsoever, pivot to whatever the next thing is. And you can be trying to debunk what they said last week, but they're not talking about that anymore. They've internalized that Roger Stone, you know, admit nothing deny everything launch counterattack never play defense ethos of how they communicate so you can point out that they lied 3 weeks ago about this one specific thing but they don't care they've moved on
0: right uh, you know fixing or solving the problem getting rid of it completely um maybe the wrong goal given that you know we live in a society that has its own history that you know we can't separate it from we live in a society where as odious as it may be, Nazis are allowed to express right. their beliefs in public. So the best things that I think we can do are, you know, one, make sure that people understand exactly what they're looking at and who they're dealing with when these sorts of things arise. Two, demonstrating that there are forms of organization that can help minimize the negative impacts of these groups operating in given communities and and then three just not losing belief in the fact that we do live in a pluralistic society that works and that we can continue to you know it it may seem like some things are increasingly untenable but i would argue you know that's a difference between perception and reality Um, To your point, the most outrageous things are going to make the most money in the attention economy, and so um, you know, keeping our eyes on the ball—that the bo- it's the boring stuff that tends to actually work. Right. It's it's the the research, the the behind the scenes organizing, getting people to show up to stuff, showing their support to things, and effectively counter organizing and neutralizing. Uh, wherever you can so that the the story isn't that a bunch of Nazis showed up. It's the story is that the community rejected the Nazis, right? The far right even understands a lot of them even understand that certain symbols are so odious and are so tainted. They can't even use them. I mean, that's like kind of how Patriot Front even came about after Charlottesville. There was the split between the just outright neo-Nazi group that Leader of Patriot Front came from, and then you know, this idea that they needed to kind of shift their symbology and they needed to shift their focus away from this outright supremacist shit, right? Which they are obviously haven't really moved away from it, they've just couched in different words or in different framings. And so, that work is never going to end, it's just a matter of its adjacency to power, right? And right now, it seems uh, closer than it has ever been in living memory. And and so that is, I think, the most concerning thing and helping people really understand how despicable it is for someone like Laura Loomer to maintain this friendly relationship with someone like Nick Fuentes.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of groups that may be imperfect, but are helping and are now drawing the attention of powerful people. We've been dealing with a massive rise in anti-Semitic content on Twitter. And I won't call it X because it's Twitter. And Elon Musk, recently, he's getting in on the act. He is talking about possibly banning or defunding or even suing the ADL for defamation. Now, whether or not he actually goes through that, who knows, but... Musk swears he is not anti-Semitic, and he's, this is just about free speech. But I was hoping, I know you, you watch and cover the far-right spaces. I think it is absolutely fair to, to have criticisms and problems with the ADL, specifically with their policies in Israel towards the Palestinian people. But when you are a neo-Nazi or a far-right figure and you see other powerful people attacking the ADL. Do they hear anything else but this is good for us because it's an attack on the Jewish people?
0: I think it's very telling that on the one hand, while saying that he's not anti-Semitic, he is engaging in one of the most common anti-Semitic tropes uh, of the last century, which is that, oh, the Jews control so much of the media that they are single-handedly destroying my business as an advertiser right. uh, or as a, as a place where advertisements uh, live and, you know, get views. Like Twitter is fundamentally an ad driven business. And so it is, I mean, it, it, uh, of course he's going to frame it within the context of free speech because that's his disingenuous framing for most of his bullshit. <laughs> the dog whistle is pretty loud. It's like a fog horn at this yeah. point. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. If he's if he doesn't know what he's doing, that only speaks to his own ignorance and hubris and just lack of self-awareness.
2: Yeah, a lot of uh, people are trying to tell him right now what he's doing. He's got a lot of people out there saying, hey, look, uh, look what you're doing. And if you don't know at that point, you don't want to know.
0: No matter what the explanation is, it's not great. Nope. Um, because as you said, you know, he's not necessarily making particular uh, principled criticisms of the ADL, you know, Oh, I don't appreciate how they categorized, you know, certain sorts of incidents of hate, you know, when it comes to their methodology, like people have made points like that. It's, it's not that it's, it's basically just, you know, I'm going to pick a target and blame them for why my business is failing. Even though several months ago, he said, Oh, all these advertisers are back and it's totally chill and it's fine. Right. So his, his erratic, you know, inconsistency and unreliability is uh, is clearly on display, and uh, the choice of a target is very concerning. Um, and you know, it, he he could have easily chosen the Southern Poverty Law Center mm-hmm. and and tried to make the same point, but for whatever reason, it had to be the ADM.
2: Right, right, and I think that. This ties in with something we've seen a lot of, and you've, you've seen it as well, I'm sure, that a lot of the time you get these guys on the far right, and like you said, their criticisms of the ADL are not necessarily principled. I mean, we had a gentleman by the name of Luke Bernard on this show not too long ago. He built a Holocaust museum in Fortnite, got dogpiled by Nick Fuentes and his idiot fans for doing that, and he had some things to say about the ADL, but his points were rooted in they don't know how to talk to kids, it wasn't like these people are awful. It was like, they're losing the new generation. That was his point. And I mm-hmm. think that's the difference between them and, you know, we've got these far right extremists that I'm sure you've seen too. When they want to say Jew, they just say ADL. Yeah.
0: It's just so concerning because this isn't an isolated incident. Nope. I mean, we're talking about a guy who spread the totally bogus conspiracy theory that the guy who shot a bunch of people, murdered a bunch of people at the Allen outlet mall in Texas, not many months ago, uh, who had a swastika on his chest, SS bolts, and had a history of posting things sympathetically about far right extremist groups and outright neo-Nazis to deny that that was the case, to, to basically say, no, this seems fake. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's because I have a hunch, it just it's oh, they're, they're trying to blame this for political points it's it's become a part of this pattern where you know, whatever information ecosystem he's swimming in, it seems like it's poisoning his goddamn brain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a part of this broader ecosystem. Um, his talking points that he's pushing out, they're a part of a broader ecosystem of voices that are saying the same thing. And denial of reality is effectively just a stock tactic now Yeah, Uh, Yeah. a group of people who have a shared set of values, but for whatever reason, they're shy about saying exactly what they are, you know, and and portraying themselves sort of as centrists. Right, uh, right. When, you know, you you pull back the Scooby Doo mask and there's certainly going to be something else there.
1: Well, and when you get to this point where, like you said, skepticism is good, but he is in a place where. Anything that does not confirm his priors, which is a narrative that he would like not to be true, he asks, oh, is it a PSYOP? Or he just outright states, it's, it's a PSYOP. And I think for all of us, like you said, skepticism is good. We shouldn't just go looking for things that, that tell us what we want to hear and what we want to believe, because it does lead you down a path where you end up taking things at face value that you really just shouldn't and we we all have to be smarter than that. We have to read and listen to people who maybe we don't even agree with, but understand different perspectives. And obviously you have learned quite a bit about this Christian supremacist dominionist world which I think is just fantastic and I think you should if you can't call yourself an expert you sound like an expert to me, and it right. is really it is really fascinating to read your your writing and how you cover this. Well, when we look at at your reporting on something like the John Birch Society, and you've talked about their resurgence and their kind of growing into a, a bigger movement again, is that something that that you think you're going to be covering more, and you're you're concerned about going forward? That's, That's- a good question.
0: So, I mean, the John Birch Society started decades ago. You know, famously this. Highly conspiratorial reactionary movement um, that considered Eisenhower to be a secret communist amongst others. Right. And from early on, they have been cooking some really kooky stuff. And there's this kind of quasi mythical story about um, William F. Buckley saying, Oh, all those guys, we can't support them, even if there was a lot more hand wringing and, like, you know, difficult negotiation about how exactly are we going to deal with the john birch society problem which wasn't as you know unequivocally uh, condemnatory as some people might think the john birch society you know may have gone into decline after that but it never went away it just sort of spread its ideas through other organs like the eagle forum right and you know now that there are some sort of chapters that are kind of coming back more formally it's only after their ideas have already sort of suffused into broader conservative politics uh, by way of a number of different avenues. One of them, as, as I said, being the Eagle Forum, but even others like Alex Jones, you know, he called Trump the John Birch society president. <laughs> and, you know, you got to take pretty much everything he says with a grain of salt or like a whole goddamn table shaker of it. But at the same time, he dabbles in that stuff and so he kind of knows what he's talking about. He more than dabbles. He, he really engages with some of the more conspiratorial elements of virtualism. And so I think we do need to keep an eye on groups like that because they sort of uh, represent like a bleeding edge of ideas that have become normalized over time. Right. I, I certainly am going to be kind of keeping my eye on it as a group that is among you know many different groups trying to push really wacky stuff.
1: Well, it it is interesting just to see you writing about them because I know a lot of times, even for the left, they get drawn into wider conspiracies of the John Birch society. And while those may or may not have grains of truth, the group has never gone away and they're still here. And, All I really want to know is how you keep these various strands and and groups and different sects like clear in your head. And and they don't just kind of dissolve into this (laughs) one giant lump of ideas, because I, I, I hear you there. There are differences. There are there are things that that mark them out. But I mean, there has to be so much overlap.
0: There is there is a lot of overlap, but ultimately groups are just compositions of people. And so uh, I try to focus in on, okay, well, who are the leaders? Who are the sort of people that are the luminaries in these groups? And to what extent do they maybe have overlap with other groups? Um, that's sort of how I try to think about how these things interact and, and, you know, try to conceive of them as more of a network of organizations. Because that's really what it is. Like, you know, the, the stuff that I was talking about at the beginning of this episode Um, the word of faith movement or the new apostolic reformation those are networks of individuals and groups it's not this massive unified organization that has you know this like codified hierarchical structure there are independent people operating independent organizations that have affinities and have shared ideas or they speak a similar language and so that's you know anywhere you see A group like Moms for Liberty pop up, you should also kind of be thinking, oh, well, Moms for Liberty is like vaguely in that same sort of direction of, um, you know, Christian nationalism, so to speak, with this sort of conspiratorial, even militant radical bent to it. Um, You know, they have affinities with other groups, like there will be people from those types of groups, maybe at a John Birch Society meeting meeting. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're all a part of some, you know, unified boogeyman story. Right. Right. Right.
1: And I think I think that's great. I think it is it is a great way to look at it in terms of dealing with the individual people and the individual instances because we don't want to get stuck in that same sort of conspiratorial bent because we don't beat these people, we don't address them and deal with the problems that they're creating by by creating our own conspiratorial bent. That is, that is not the way. And I think this is a good way to look at it. Let's, let's delve into this person and this person and where they intersect and who's funding them. And that's why your reporting is, is so important and we really do appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks. I I appreciate you having me on and um, you know, the, the movements and the networks that uh, you know, fall under our purview as either journalists or investigators or researchers or podcasters, you know, they have their own histories. And so the last thing that I'll say is just making sure that as we discuss these groups and people that we also place them within the context right. of where they came from and their histories and why they persist today. Because without that, we're just kind of viewing all of these things in a vacuum and it may be very hard to understand like, why are there so many of them
2: right? <laughs>
0: and, and what does that
2: have to do with American history? So how can people support you in the work that you're doing?
0: So uh, you can find me on um, the social media platform, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, My handle is at Steve Anzetti, S-T-E-V-A-N-Z-E-T-T-I. I'm also on Blue Sky, sometimes post there, sometimes post on Instagram, not a ton. Got the same handle on pretty much everything. Uh, I have a Patreon if you want to just ship me a few bucks a month, you know, that certainly does help so that I can focus more deeply on stories Right. Uh, as opposed to having to just churn them out.
2: So those are the main ways that you could support my work. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on with us today, Stephen. We really appreciate your time. It's a great conversation, learned a lot, and you have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. Take care. thanks for listening to the did nothing wrong podcast if you want to hear more you can find us on the web at didnothingwrongpod.com please make sure you subscribe to get our content straight into your inbox you can also follow us on twitter at james the word for and the letter m all one word and grizzabjj g-r-z-a-b-j-j as well as dnwpod We're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that allow us to keep doing this important work. Thanks. And remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.